service uh, downstairs. We're having the joy of studying the great minor prophet. That is, the book is named after the author. His name is Zechariah. Zechariah. So I turn to Zechariah chapter 4. I'm calling this Light and Power Company. Zechariah 4. It's an interesting vision. It's an encouraging vision for the people of God. Remember the situation very briefly is that this book, Zechariah, is written just in round numbers about 20 years after the political leader, whose name was Zerubbabel, had, they, they had returned to Israel and they were rebuilding the land and they were particularly rebuilding the temple of God, you know, the center of worship where they would go to meet God, where they would sacrifice for sin, and they would have the assurance that uh, their sins were forgiven. So it's very important. They'd worship God and hear from God, and the whole law would be fulfilled. Uh, It's kind of interesting, actually, if you've ever talked with uh, Orthodox Jews today. um, They long for the temple to be built because they are trying to live under the Mosaic law today, and they cannot fulfill the law because they have no temple. They are not able to bring animal sacrifices to God because they have no place to do it. And honestly, uh, it's kind of very difficult for them because there is a, a Muslim mosque right where the temple should be as, of course, you probably know. So they long for the day for the temple to be built. Well, you know, go back to the time of Zechariah, uh, four or five hundred years B.C., and they still have that longing. And Zerubbabel has started the temple, and then there was a lot of opposition. Uh, The local folks who had been living in that area were opposed to the Jews building their temple again, hmm, sounds familiar perhaps, uh, to, as to today even. Um, and, and the Jews themselves, there was discord, there was re- friction. And so, quite frankly, Zerubbabel gave up the project. He got it started, he got the foundation built, and for, like I said, round numbers, 20 years I've been the pastor here 20 years. That's a, you know, that's a long time, a big chunk of your life, um, where the temple was just a pile of you know, rocks, uh, looked like a, just a poured cement foundation with not, no structure on it. And Zerubbabel, from this text, Zerubbabel clearly felt overwhelmed by this pro- project. He felt like, I can't do this. I don't have enough resources uh, my strength is not enough to do this. I am quitting. I'm not going to be able to do this. And also, he felt like, and sort of expanding it, he felt like it was an impossible task. I, I can't please all of these people. And I can't possibly do this. So it felt like a mountain of impossibility for him to get this thing done. Um, and then there was an, there's another big emotion that comes through in this text. This text actually uh, has 
So many famous quotes in it. You will be surprised. Um, another big emotion that comes through is he has a start on the temple, and people kind of went out and looked at it and said, oh, man, this, this is nothing. You know, we've heard stories about Solomon's temple, and it was something. But this is a little tiny nothing. I can't believe you're wasting your time. Why would you put effort into such a small thing? Um, it's called the, the small beginnings. So the beginning was so unimpressive, Zerubbabel, you know, all the air was let out of his balloon. He was just discouraged. And, and I think we can also clearly say that he, he began to wonder in his heart and soul, began to wonder if, if God really even cared about this. Does God care for me to get this task done? Uh, does God see what's going on? Does he know? Um, and that's actually, of course, one of the big issues of the whole book of Zechariah. The, the name Zechariah, and I know some of you remember by now, what does Zechariah mean? The Lord remembers. Let's all say that together. At least one person said it. The Lord remembers. That's, the name. That's what his name means. And several times already we've been reminded of the sovereignty of God, that he sees everything. In the last text, it talked about this big stone that had seven eyes on the stone. And that's a reference to God's all-seeing eyes. He sees everything that's going on. And actually that's in today's text as well. So in other words, Zerubbabel, in the grind of his daily life, began to wonder if God even cared, if God knew, if God understood what was going on. Now, you see, all of these things are typical spiritual battles, spiritual warfare against us to do the right thing. Uh, to do whatever God has called us to do. Everyone in this room, if you are a believer, you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have enemies, you know, arrayed against us, and chief of whom is Satan himself. Uh, And then we have our own flesh. That's the part we carry around with us. It's still sinful, still wants to rebel against God. And then we have a whole world system Uh, that says, you know, why are you bothering? There is no God. You're being ridiculous to go that way. And the the world system has a whole scientific explanation as to why God does not exist, right? Uh, So the world, the flesh, and the devil are big enemies of us. And so this sense of being overwhelmed, thinking it's an impossible task, or looking at what we've accomplished and saying, well, this is just unimpressive, just quit. Uh, and, and also leading us to, well, does God even know and does God even care? You know, a lot of us in this room are, are raising kids. Um, and, you know, when you're a, you're a parent of particularly young kids, a lot of your life is about, you know, wiping noses and changing diapers and dealing with griping kids that, you know, are slow to learn obedience <laughs> as we are slow to learn patience, right? Uh, and, and, and you can easily just get overwhelmed by this task. Okay, I can't do this. It's overwhelming. Uh, you can say, okay, it's an impossible task. I'll never. 
And besides, it, why does this even matter? You know, why am I going through all this effort to be a good father or a good grandfather or a good great-grandfather? Um, and then finally, you can wonder if God actually sees at all, if God cares at all. So what was happening in the lives of God's people in this day and in the life of Zerubbabel, the leader, is just like what can be happening in our lives today. Uh, Charlotte and I went to a family wedding yesterday. It was Charlotte's side of the family uh, wedding. Uh, and she had um, an aunt and uncle named uh, Sis and Ron. And they're both gone. They both departed, have died. They lived a very long life. Uh, Ron fought in World War II, came back and was able to get enough money to buy some acres over in the Central Valley in a, a town called Turlock. And he became a dairy farmer. And he poured his whole life for many years into this dairy farm. And they had four kids. And they're all raised right there, very practically, on the farm. Uh, I got to know Ron quite a bit off and on. The sweetest guy in the world. One thing you remember about shaking Ron McFarland's hand is like, okay, this guy never wears gloves. <laughs> His hands were like, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Those working hands, strong hands uh, that uh, did everything on the farm. But the center of their whole household was faith in God. And, you know, Ron and Sis uh, took their kids to church every single week. They were faithful in their little series Baptist Church there, First Baptist Church of Series. Um, and they raised their kids to love the Lord Jesus. And, you know, at the time it could have felt like, well, you know, what does it really matter here? We're on this farm, and we're eking out an existence. Um, how significant is this? You know, am I, am I Billy Graham? I, am I changing the world? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm a little farmer in Turlock. But the cool thing is you can see their heritage so clearly because all of their kids are God-fearing people. All, will, all of them are in church every week. And then their kids, the grandkids, same story. They're all serving the Lord God. And now the, other, the next generation, they're great-grandkids. So it's this mass of people who love the Lord Jesus, who are, are looking fondly at the, the example that Ron and Sis laid out for their family. Remember last week, I was trying to make this point from the text, and I don't think I quite got there. But if, if you look at chapter 3, it, it says, let's see. Let's see if I can find it. It's up in here. Moment of silence as we read this. Let's see. Here it is. Verse 8. There's only, only 10 verses. It couldn't have taken me that long to find it, right? <laughs> Remember this? This is what I was trying to say last week. Last week, Here now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. And these are church people. You know, Forgive me, there's no church at this time, but you know what I mean. For they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. So they are symbolic. You are symbolic. You're a symbol. And the thing about the Bible 
is the symbols point to realities. It's not a symbol that points to a, a dream or a hope or some kind of fake fairy dust sort of thing. But the signs and symbols of the Bible point to reality. And what this is saying is people who live with the fear of God, who in the words of chapter 3, walk in my ways and keep my charge, they become a sign post to what? To the reality of God. You know, that's pretty exciting. It's actually a huge responsibility. You symbolize to this generation, to the next generation, to any generation that hopefully gets to know a little bit about your story, that God exists. You have huge, a huge purpose. And, and we should all be driven to our knees like, God, please help me to fulfill this sign purpose for me. So, Zerubbabel is dealing with spiritual opposition like you and I will be dealing with it as well. We all have challenges in our lives. So what is the encouragement? How does God... In this whole book is encouragement. It's like a big crowbar trying to get Zerubbabel and Joshua to get on with what they should be doing. You're stuck. You're stuck. Are you going to change? Or are you going to continue to make excuses why you could never do it? Well, so today's vision is, um, let, me, let me read the chapter, and then we'll talk about it. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each lamp that are on the top of it. Okay, so this, this is a, he sees this really unusual lampstand. It's really uh, bright because you counted it has 49 Flames. This is a 49 flame lampstand. It has seven lamps, and each lamp has seven uh, flames on those lamps. So, of course, in this day, this would be like hugely bright, you know, incredibly bright. Um, we don't know where the lampstand is, but normally the lampstand should be in the temple, right? Uh, but as we said, there isn't a temple right now, but uh, it, it's bringing us into that concept of the temple. Okay, let's continue describing this. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Uh, by the way, that phrase is twice in our text, just to uh, give you a foreshadowing. It's also in verse 13. He said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. I think, it's, I think the question is, the challenge there is to, to uh, 
emphasize Zechariah's confusion over what he's seeing. You know, God, God sometimes asks us questions that emphasize our lack of knowledge, right? Can you think of an example with the disciples? Well, yeah, of course, Pastor Nate. Remember when Jesus was going to feed the 15,000 people or the 5,000, right? What did he say to the disciples? Come on, guys, let's get the food together. And they, well, what are you talking about? We, we can't get enough food for this many people, Lord? He, Jesus wants to emphasize what? Our inability, our need. It's, it's good to be needy, and it's actually good to have a mind that says, Lord, I don't know. Um, by the way, I wanted you to look at this, this verse here right at this point. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. A beautiful verse from Psalm 119, 130. It's the, Lord, I don't know. Please, you know, unfold your words to me. It's a beautiful expression. It means to open up like a door. Open up your words to me, and then I'll have understanding. I'm, I'm not too proud to admit I'm simple. I'm simple. I need you, God, uh, to help me understand this. Okay, so there, verse 5. I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So I told you, that's a famous quote, right? You've heard that, right? How many of you knew right off the top of your head, oh, that's from Zechariah, chapter 4. And it's a vision about a big lamp. You know, come on, admit it. None of you knew that. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> In fact, when I, got, I read this, oh, where, where is he quoting from? You know, where else is that? Oh, this is it. <laughs> this is the source of that awesome quote. Um, and we'll, we'll take some minutes thinking about it here together. Okay. The, the Lord of hosts. Some uh, versions, uh, I notice, I think it's NIV, translates it, Lord Almighty, which is, it's fine. The, you know, the Hebrew direct translation is the, the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, uh, Lord of all capability, which makes him the Lord Almighty. But there is also another Hebrew word for the Lord Almighty, uh, El Gabor, um, is, is that. Okay, again, we're, we're just reading it now. We'll come back to this in a moment. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. There were seven, so this would be called personification. In the vision, we don't, it doesn't say he sees a mountain, but a mountain is brought into the scene, and it's addressed as if it were a human being. Right? It's addressed as if it were a person. It's sort of like defiant. You, oh mountain, who are you to think you can stop Zerubbabel? You know, Zerubbabel has been thinking, well, this is a mountain. I will not be able to move this mountain. This is an impossible task. I can't do what God is asking me to do. And so the vision is, who are you? O great mountain, before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. 
That, that last phrase means, means, means Zerubbabel will finish the temple and he'll put the final stone up on top and everybody will be yelling, Grace! Grace to it! It's like, wow! Fantastic! The job is complete! Well done! My good and faithful servant. You were faithful. You, you got off your duff and did what God called you to do and you did the impossible because with me it's not impossible. Okay, verse 10. For whoever has, and here's the, here's the next, if you're like a Bible student, you've heard this before. Uh, the Despising the day of small things. That's my point of thinking that the beginning is unimpressive, so unimpressive, why even bother? Uh, for whoever has despised the day of small things. You know, that's where this satanic, evil, fleshly, worldly trick that tries to convince us that whatever effort you're making in your spiritual life, it's so stinking and significant, like give up. You'll never make a difference. You'll never change. Just forget about it. Um, and you, you despise that day. You despise the small things. Verse 10, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. What that's saying is Zerubbabel, look, for 20 years he hasn't gotten his tools out. He gave up. Now he's out there with his level. He's going to go build that temple. He's got his plumb line. He's going to go. This is so exciting. Zerubbabel, you're a sign. You're a symbol. When you are making the effort that God has called you to make, even if it seems impossible, you're going out there and it is exciting to see that you're attempting to do what God has called you to do. Again, we're just reading. I'm not really preaching right now. (laughs) Although this is probably the best sermon I'll ever come up with. (laughs) Okay, finishing verse 10. These are the seven eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. There's got to be a connection back to the lampstand, the seven lampstands with the seven, the 49. These are the seven eyes. Again, the concept of Zechariah. The Lord remembers. The Lord sees. What makes anything significant in our whole lives? Why should we ever do anything right at all? You know, well, our psalm says the evil people... Uh, run around and say, and they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Now, that's the challenge. You know, if there is a God, he's probably asleep. Well, what's your evidence? Uh, well, bad things happen. Bad things happen to, you know, reasonably good people. And uh, this world seems chaotic, so there must be no God. But the Bible says uh, God has a plan and all the chaos and all the even evil things are a part of his plan. We trust his sovereignty through it all because he's way bigger than us. And his understanding is way deeper and way, way more amazing. And his grammar is way better than mine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know. um, he, he's awesome. So the eyes of the Lord range through the whole earth. Watch that. The whole earth. Um, okay, now finishing verse 11. 
and following. Then I said to him, this is interesting right here. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? I just don't get it, okay? What, What are those olive trees doing there? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? So we get a little bit more fleshing out of the vision here. You've got this lampstand with this bowl, and the oil from the bowl goes out to the seven lamps, which have the seven flames. And now we see that that's what those olive trees are doing there. They have golden pipes from the olive trees putting oil in the bowl. So what we have here is perpetual motion. We have a lamp that never goes out. Because it's got the olive trees that are providing the olive oil that goes in the bowl and it continues to light. It's a, it's a symbol of God's infinite power and presence and capability. Um, and it, you know what? Actually, I just made this connection, I think, last night in my head. Kind of reminds me of what's called the miracle of Hanukkah. Uh, at the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle was the oil didn't run out and their lamp kept burning. Uh, and I don't know if it's at all connected with this. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first person to make that connection. Let's just put it that way. But uh, kind of interesting. That's this, this vision here. But he's saying, okay, God, who, what, what are the olive trees? What are the olive trees? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And then this is his answer. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's look at the final phrase first, because I'm going to bring that out in a little bit. The Lord of the whole earth. And up in verse 10, the eyes of the Lord, the seven eyes, they range through the whole earth. And he is the Lord, the master of the whole earth. But look at the first part of the phrase. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord. Here's the weird thing, okay? You read through all the commentaries, and everybody comes up with, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Because we really don't know. All we're left with is sort of wild speculation. It might be Zerubbabel and Joshua. It It could be Zechariah and Haggai, both of the prophets. Uh, it could be Israel and the church. Uh, we, we don't know. Okay, so hold that thought, and let me, let me summarize what I've been trying to say already uh, today for us here. First of all, here, here's an artist's rendering of the vision. Uh, impossible to uh, see what it was like, you know. It was, it's a, he sees it, but we don't quite get it. But uh, it's a golden lampstand with a bowl and lots of golden pipes. Uh, and lots of light kind of, whoops, uh, my computer went off. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Never mind. Everything's good. Okay. So what there's, there's really five steps here for, um, for Zerubbabel, five forms of encouragement that I actually tried to emphasize already as we read it together. The first one is this. Zerubbabel, you're looking at your life and you're saying, God, this is like really, really hard 
I'm not sure if I can overcome. Um, you know, I, I feel like quitting. I, I feel like giving up completely. I, I'm looking at my resources and say, God, I, they're, they're inadequate for the job. So what does God say? Does God say, I want you to pull down deep Zerubbabel into, into your heart, into your life and your resources and trust you, trust your resources to go out and do my work? No, 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 no. The big answer is no. It's so good to admit your resources are not adequate to do what God has called you to do. We work for God, uh, and, and, and I mean, you know, wiping noses and changing diapers or, you know, or building a wall or, you know, commanding a regiment or, you know, firing a rifle. I mean, all of this, God has called us to serve him in our whole life for whatever we're doing, Right? But we have to do it through his power, through his strength, trusting him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us. Zerubbabel's going to have to get up and get his level out of the toolbox and get to work. But it will be God that accomplishes the task. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. I love that psalm. 127. So what does God say? Look, Zerubbabel, the first thing I want you to understand is you're, you are inadequate. <laughs> you, you are unable to do this. That's where we start. And that's what motivates us to, to pray and ask God to, to do it for us. Not by might, not by your might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of Hosts. He will do his work through us as we admit our need of him. So that is verse 6. And then, then the next, I said there's five things. We'll click them off kind of quickly here. I love this next one. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is looking at this task. This happens to be Mount Whitney which is the tallest mountain in the lower 48 states. Pretty amazing piece of rock in, in central Southern California. And the moon's right over there. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I didn't take the shot, but anyway. <laughs> but Mount Whitney is, is a, a mountain. It's a huge mass of stone that is a massive obstacle to progress, to getting from, from east to west or from west to east. And, and that's the overwhelming nature of, of what God has called Zerubbabel to do and what we have in our own lives. It seems like an impossible task. And it, it, doesn't it remind us of what? what? Jesus said something about this, right? By faith you will say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will happen. It's, it's okay to look at the challenge in our life and say, this is a mountain, God. I'm not going to belittle this. I'm not going to act like this is nothing. No, it's huge. And it, it's way too big for me. That's, that's why I need you. That's, that's how much I need you. Um, and so the beauty of the, the word here is, who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, you know, where does the mountain go? <laughs> it's gone because of God's work. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says 
the Lord. That's, that's the second thing then. Now, the third thing is this uh, part that I picked up. Uh, the despising of the day of small things. Uh, it's just very, very typical for you and I to look at ourselves and say, well, we're pretty insignificant. I know I shouldn't make a reference to a 30-year-old kid's movie. <laughs> but there's this 30-year-old kid's movie called Aunt Z. Uh, or, and, and Aunt Z is uh, going and he's in counseling. And he, he says to his therapist finally, you know, I just feel insignificant. You know, I was one of like a million babies that my mother had. And, uh, and the therapist says, that's it, Aunt Z. You are insignificant. <laughs> you, it's a breakthrough. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, I, I'm not trying to be negative or like turn you off or turn you down or, you know, hurt your ego or anything like that. But I, it, it's important to say, yeah, you know, this may not be all that significant. You know, maybe it's just me and raising this one or two kids for God's glory. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, no one else cares what's going on here, but God cares. And God has called me to this. And so I am not going to despise the day of small things. I'm not going to allow that spiritual trick to think, you know what? You're not important. It doesn't matter if you live a moral life. It doesn't matter if you keep your marriage vows. You know, nobody cares about you. You're nothing. No, no, no. You're a sign. You, you, you communicate more than you ever know. It's a scary thought. Like I said, it should drive us to our knees. Like, oh, God, help me to communicate what I should be communicating. Um, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Uh, saying that, don't get stuck there. Some versions say, do not despise the day of small things, but uh, ESV has a better translation of it, just saying that you know, we've resisted that tem- temptation to get stuck in the day of small things, and we're going to rejoice. You know, you Again, picking up chapter 3, those two commands. Walk in the Lord's ways and keep his charge. You will rejoice, you will overcome, and you'll look back and say, to God be the glory. It's so wonderful to see what he did. Uh, We're going to worship him for how he used us uh, in our lives. It's it's a beautiful thing. I love uh, William Carey. Uh, I've had the joy of being to India four times, I guess. And William Carey is is an epic missionary. He died in 1834 in India. Um, He's the one who gave us this great expression, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And, you know, William Carey went over there with, like, uh, a couple of his family members in a suitcase. He had nothing. It was impossible. You're not going to impact India. You don't even know the language. I mean, it's insane. What's your plan of success here, Bill? But he went, he was faithful, and he became an amazing uh, force for the gospel in India. Hugely by translating. He translated the Bible into five or six Indian languages um, and was a great linguist. 
You know, so it was a small start, but he didn't despise it. You know, He pushed through it, and God did wonderful things through him. Okay, that, that was a... Would I say that was a third thing? I think so. Here's the fourth thing. And this is coming out of the very last part of, of our chapter today. The very last section. Um, I, I emphasized it as I read it. We, we need to know that God sees all and that he's sovereign over all. He, he is the Lord of all. And he does see all. Again, this is the huge motivation for us to live for him. Uh, he, he knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our emotions, our affections, our affections. He knows what's there. And his eyes range through the whole earth. You can't escape him. You know, you might travel, you might be in Bahrain, uh, but the Lord's there. He knows what you, what's going on there. You, you live for him just like you would back here. You have to know that he sees all. And then the text ends that he's the Lord of the whole earth. He's the sovereign Lord of all. And it's so important to keep this in our minds. And then finally, I think it's super important here, uh, this text leads us to know that we will not know everything. He's, He's saying, God, please tell me what this means. What does this mean, God? What are these what are these olive trees? And God says, Well, don't you know? No, I don't know. And then God gives him uh, an answer that doesn't help him understand it, really, ultimately. Uh, what is this saying? God reserves the right to not tell you everything. <laughs> and it's a part of the nature of God. He's the sovereign God, and he will decide what we need to know. <laughs> he, and we don't, our estimation of what we need to know is much bigger than his a lot of times, right? We think we need to know everything, and he doesn't deign to tell us. And he hasn't told us everything uh, uh, that we would like to know. So we submit to him, and we trust him. And what do we, we, we say? God, I believe you understand this. My faith is such that I, you understand this, and that's enough for me. Okay. So what do I think this vision is about? These uh, several things here. God's spirit will accomplish God's will. We need to be faithful. You know, if God's called you to teach a group of one person, two people, three or four or five, don't don't act like that's uh, unimportant. God will work through you by his spirit to do what he wants to do. In those situations, one of our favorite stories, Charlotte and I, there's a great theologian, a Hebrew scholar, has taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Americans uh, in, um, and internationals too, uh, in American seminaries. His name is Ron Allen, one of the leading Hebrew scholars in the United States of America. And he was saved. His dad was a traveling musician. And they, they were in the Midwest living in like a shanty place. And somebody came and knocked on the door and said, would you like to go to a Bible club, a five-day Bible club? He went to this five-day Bible club, and the, the people there, the ladies presenting the gospel, he got saved. He never saw them again. He doesn't even know who they were. But he went on to touch hundreds and hundreds of lives uh, in God's plan. God will accomplish his will 
Not by our might, not by our strength, but by his spirit. And here, the mountain idea. Even if the obstacle seems like a mountain, God will overcome it in his time and in his plan. Oops, there we go. Third one, do not get stuck despising the day of small things. Um, Don't get stuck there. It's a trick of the devil. He wants you to stop God's work by saying, oh, this is just too small. Just ignore it. He will bring us to rejoicing over what he has done. And then, uh, fourthly, we trust the all-knowing, sovereign God. The bottom foundation of everything is that God is sovereign, and he's the only God who's created everything. And then another idea of that is we will not understand everything. And we've got to be okay with that. Even when it comes to the Bible, uh, we don't understand. The the Holy Spirit hasn't seen fit to explain what the two olive trees are exactly. Just know that they're there and they provide oil. (laughs) They provide what God wants. And the Holy Spirit is the oil uh, in the lamp. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the...